When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast, a spot to help you get your mind right. We know you can't just train the body. You can't just train your skills. You got to train your mindset. And speaking of mindset, we have the founder of MVP Mindset. We got Zach Brandon, an MLB mental skills coordinator with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's from Oregon, was a national champion at Linfield. You guys won the, the national title, dude? We did, yeah. He trained at IMG. So, man, I'm excited to dig deep and really talk mental game. But before we started vibing about the content, we were talking about the last dance. We were talking goat talk, MJ. And with the Diamondbacks, uh, Zach shared that during quarantine, that first month of March, stuff was on pause. And you guys were, like, sharing about about this uh, stuff, right? Yeah. So it's funny. I I go back. It's crazy now that that was – I mean, we're, we're approaching a year pretty close um, here soon. And there was that stretch where the sporting world came to a halt, which I don't think any of us would have ever anticipated in our lifetimes. And, uh, you know, everybody was kind of trying to find things to watch on TV. And, and when the last dance came out, I mean, that for five weeks was the craze. Everybody was talking about it. We were talking about it. And one of the things that we ended up doing during quarantine, as you mentioned, was we kind of hosted some kind of virtual roundtables with coaches and staff. And it originally kind of started out as just a place for us to, to stay connected, to continue getting that face-to-face interaction with one another, because we were missing that. And over time, uh, the last dance came out and we actually started to just kind of uh, steer the conversation around it. We started talking about, um, Phil Jackson and, and how he built, you know, that culture that he had created, his leadership style, um, and how that could transfer over um, in our setting, but also what resonated for some of our coaches and our staff with him and how he led. Um, we talked about MJ, obviously, as you said, the GOAT, who um, is just on another planet when it comes to kind of his mentality and his mindset and what helped him kind of be, you know, the who he was in his career so um that that provided that uh documentary provided some really great nuggets that you know definitely try to pull from and for like i said about a five-week period that was the hot topic and and kind of the coaching circles yeah i agree i i took a lot of stuff and i was watching it just from a fan's perspective but from someone who studies success like i'm i'm a student i'm trying to understand and teach success so what what are some things you learned from phil that, that you, that you guys shared? Yeah, it's, I think one of the things that you see quickly is like coaching is um, first and foremost about um, kind of being a great connector with people, right? Like, I think that's, you look at kind of the foundation of coaching. Like, I think really for anything, I think it applies to the work that we do um, in kind of mental performance and mindset where the bedrock of our profession is really built around trust. And I think what was really cool to watch um, with how Phil did that was um, how he was able to connect with so many different personalities and how he was able to create this environment 
that not only was supportive so that every individual feel, felt heard, every individual felt cared for, um, he, he got to know the whole person and not just the athlete. Um, and I think the other side of it too is he was also able to challenge guys. And one of the things that we know when it comes to promoting resilience, developing resilience um, in elite sport and in team sport settings is the optimal environment is this combination between high support and high challenge. And I think that was one of the things that viewers got a kind of a behind the scenes glimpse into during, during those 10 episodes was how he, he made every individual feel um, valued, feel cared for, regardless of your role on the team, but also to how he was able to challenge each person on an individual level, as well as the team for them to achieve what they achieved. So I thought that was, that was one of the biggest things that stood out to me that was really impressive to watch. And um, I, I, I bought his, one of his books, uh, 11 Rings. I haven't read it quite yet, but it's on the to-do list. I also think he brought in uh, George, um, uh, what was George's last name? Mumford, George Mumford. He's like a mindfulness specialist when Jordan came back the second time to teach him present moment focus, how to breathe, how to stay present, mindfulness, how to visualize. So Kobe and Jordan also credit you know, George for some of that work. But before we talk about you, let's talk about uh, Jordan real quick. What, what did you learn from him from that? Like, I, I learned from him that he loved the game of basketball. And it's like at the level you're coaching at the highest level, like, do you really love playing or do you play to get a paycheck? Jordan loved yeah. to compete and he loved to just play, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the ultimate, ultimate competitor. I mean, that was, I think, one of the cool things you see behind the scenes of wasn't just on the basketball court, you know, it was on the golf course. It was on other things, uh, other facets of life. Like Jordan was really the ultimate competitor. And you really saw somebody where that was, that was part of his personality. That was part of his DNA, really. Um, it's interesting because there's a lot I think you can learn from Jordan. And there's also a lot where I see what he does and how he goes about his work. And I also know that there's a lot that probably wouldn't resonate for the majority of people. Um, and so I think it was really interesting to, to study him and, and to kind of tap into some of that. I think one of the things that I really admire about, um, you know, elite performers, and you, you hear it a lot, um, people in, in not just baseball, but other professional sports settings where, it's one thing to get to the highest level, and then it's another thing to stay there. And it's the consistency component that I think really stands out about watching Jordan and consistency in mentality, consistency in daily effort and behavior, how he went about his work. Um, there's so much consistency there. And I think it just overall, like the discipline that he shows um, is, is truly, you know, remarkable. And, and there's countless anecdotes, I think, that you can pull from the series, as well as just stories that have surfaced over the years about the, the work ethic that he had and how he prepared his, not only his body, but his mind to, to achieve what he kind of achieved. So um, there's a lot of, there's certainly a lot of ones. I, I appreciated you bringing up them, bringing in Mubford. And I thought that was one of the cool things where they show the clip of them talking about doing, you know, some breathing exercises and, and, and some of that stuff, which is, I think, really cool. Um, you know, now in 2021, I think we're hearing more athletes, coaches, and teams talk about the mental side of, of sport uh, more, more openly than ever before. So th that's really exciting, and I'm encouraged about the future. And, and listeners, the reason why we're talking about Jordan is uh, Zach has worn a Jordan hat. So 
my first question, man, I like the Jordan hat. I'm a big fan. I got a few Jordans in, in the closet. So that's why we started talking about Jordan. So we're just teachers of success and learning about the power of the mind, how we can make this stuff normal. And Jordan was mentally ferocious. My, my two favorite concepts was, why would I think about missing a shot I haven't even taken yet? And then there was a post recently that came out. I was like, what do you think about when you're on the sideline of timeout? He's like, I think about chewing gum. <laughs> That was pretty sweet. So just stay in present. But Zach, Love give it. us some give us some some knowledge about yourself, like how you grew up. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, from Oregon, uh, my uh, home roots are will always be Oregon. Grew up, uh, loved the Pacific Northwest. So hearing that you know you're from Seattle area is is uh, is really cool, and always enjoy conversing about that. But I uh, I grew up playing sports. That was, I mean, I think most of my meaningful memories of childhood revolve around sports um you know if it was didn't matter what time of the year i there's my parents home still has um their garage door has dents in it from me throwing tennis balls against the wall um on a day-to-day basis so um there's several things that have been damaged over the years from the countless hours i spent uh playing sports and that was a big part of my life and was fortunate to to go to to linfield college a small school and and, and play college baseball and had a great experience there um not just from an athletic standpoint but from a from an academic and a social standpoint so it was a great experience and from there um you know, I, I was a psych major and I didn't really know what I was going to do with that. <laughs> There's not, unfortunately, a ton you can do in some ways within psychology with just a, a bachelor's degree. So for a while there, I was like, all right, I guess I can go into coaching and we'll kind of see where that may lead. And, and, uh, so Zach, was that just a random, like you have to pick a major and you're like, Oh, this was on the pick. Was there anything that like, you're curious about understanding the power of the mind and thought or, you know, I'm always curious when people decide to major in that, they don't know what they're going to use it for. Yeah. Random is probably a good word uh, to some extent. I, so I started as a, an exercise science or kinesiology major and I took a week of anatomy. And after a week, we were on a road trip. Um, it was our first trip of the year. We were on the flight back and I hadn't got the book yet. I had already flunked the first quiz um, and I said, you know, rather than just drop anatomy as its whole, or actually like work through it, you know, and actually show some grit and some, and, and, and kind of bounce back. I, I was like, let's just change the major. Let's just change it to something else. So I looked at one of my buddies and I said, Hey, do you want to be a psych major? Cause he was a history major and we, we, te- we razzed him. We were like, you can't do a whole lot with a history degree and, uh, w- convinced him to do psychology. So, ended up that was kind of where the initial door went in terms of opening up psych but um overall what i what i did find is i did have a genuine interest in learning how the mind worked and one of the things that i did know is that i wanted to be in a profession where i got to work with people and serve people and psychology thankfully provided a nice um kind of open door to to that world and uh so I studied psych. Uh, I took a sports psych class towards the end of my my undergrad, and and that was really the light bulb moment where it's like, oh, there's this whole field out there of of people like yourself who are trying to teach people tools, skills, principles, all these things that help them um, help their uh, mind unlock their body, and and so that they can perform to the best of their ability. So, um, yeah. So then I took a sports psych class, and then kind of from that point forward, it was investing all my time and energy in that and um you know have since you know it's now been five 
plus years later, five, six years later, it's been uh, a really cool journey. When you went to grad school, you got to learn from the best though, right? Yeah. So um, for me, one of the things that uh, when I look at grad schools and I, I share this now with a lot of students, when they ask about trying to find programs and stuff, the number one factor for me was go somewhere where there were faculty who were doing the type of work that you wanted to be doing. And Fullerton had um, the gentleman that you're referencing, Dr. Ken Revisa, who was an incredible person to learn from, um, not only as a practitioner, but just as a person and as a human being. And uh, I went there and, and got to learn a lot and, and shadow him. Um, and it was a really cool experience. I'll, I'll share a quick um, anecdote from him. So I was fortunate to be a TA for one of his classes. He taught a stress management class. And the first assignment, he would make students um, go and buy a lemon. And then they had to write a paper about a lemon. And it's funny to sit there and be in, up in the front of the class and looking at the, the students in the classroom, sitting there listening to him at what he was saying. Um, you know, people are looking at him like, what, what are we doing? Like, this is what we're doing in stress management. And um, afterwards, it was really cool. He, he gave me this list or this uh, packet of all these uh, answers that people had written out. And he said, hey, just take this and come back tomorrow and let me know what you think. And I, you know, this is like, um, in my mind, like this is my first assignment. Ken just gave me all of these papers on spending, you know, time with a lemon. And um, what was really interesting about it was there were so many, I think, lessons that you could pull from that simple exercise um, that I think for many would have thought were, was very pointless. And I think that was one of them was um, when we add meaning to what we do, we can extract a lot more out of it. It changes how we do it. And so that was one of the things that it was cool to go back and read through some of those. I actually still have all of those papers um, from that very first exercise. And, and that was one of those kind of cool moments where I quickly realized that I was going to learn a lot more than just what the textbooks were teaching in sports psych. Well, and also Ken had worked with the angels, the Rays, the Cubs. Like he was like, you're getting your master's degree from someone who is a practitioner in the field, not someone who's just reading articles and journals in a classroom. I think that's what yeah. you're about, right. For sure. For sure. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. And like, as you know, from, from your prior sport experiences, like being able to kind of like speak the mental game, uh, of the sport that you're serving in. So whether it's baseball or whether it's football or whether it's basketball, whatever, there's a difference between the mental game of those sports sometimes and what you see in the sports like textbooks, like the language and, and what resonates with people. And so I think being able to um, translate that is a really important piece. And, and Ken saw that firsthand for countless years, you know, over 30 30 plus years in this profession doing it before it became kind of more mainstream as it is now. And I'm thinking with a lemon, it's about senses. Like you think about lemon, your mouth waters and you think about lemon, you can, smell it, you can taste it, you can feel it. So just your senses look about stress management. Fear is a physical response to a, a threat mentally. So was that kind of the exercise, but uh, right. Yeah, it was, it was super open. Like it was super, like, I think you bring up a great point. Like there's a, there's a mindfulness component to it. Like you said, tapping into the senses, you know, feeling a lemon. There was, um, I'll, I'll never forget. There was a, a young lady in that class who wrote about how um, she kind of, she basically made this comparison that 
for all of her life, she had, um, you know, seen all these lemons, she had eaten lemons, all these different things, but she had never actually stopped to pay attention to it and to really be curious towards it, to really uh, just take a moment to genuinely see it. And she actually compared it to a different facet of her life, that there was another facet of her own life that she wasn't always aware of, that she wasn't always attending to, and that she took things for granted. And like, it was really cool. Like there was the amount of depth that some of them shared in these, you know, one page written responses to, hey, go spend 15 minutes with a lemon was pretty remarkable. Um, and I think it was to your point, like there's there's so much that you can kind of pull from that um, in, in how it applies to, to life and mindset. Well, let's talk about, you talk about grit and resilience. Tell me how you got hired. I mean, IMG is not an easy place to get into, right? First off, when you were in grad, now you were an intern there first, right? Yeah, yeah. So I started as an intern um, during kind of in between semesters in grad school um, or years in grad school. And I, again, this is probably where I come back to what I mentioned earlier. Like I think a big, no one obviously uh, achieves any success they experience alone, I feel. Um, and I, I was pretty fortunate to have people like Ken, as well as uh, several other mentors at Fullerton, who who I think really helped uh, create those opportunities. Um, you know, it's like you hear all the time, like the importance of building relationships and networking. And, and really, there's, there's certainly a difference between those two, you know, actually creating some meaningful relationships there. Um, so I was fortunate to have some really good people in my corner. And and, um, you know, it was a really cool opportunity to go to um, IMG and just learn and grow. Like, it's an incredible lab to um, develop as a practitioner. I, I remember, like, when I started at IMG, I was so, like, I was not good, like, not good at all. Like, I wasn't super comfortable. Uh, I was probably really rigid. I, you know, it was very monotone, all these things. And it was cool to see the evolution after a summer being there as an intern and then was really fortunate to, to get invited back the following year as um, they actually had had, it was kind of timing where there was a full-time opportunity that presented itself. And um, next thing you know, it was uh, you know two and a half years later, um, getting a chance to do the work that I do now on a daily basis in a really cool setting at IMG. Well, maybe tell about that's like a classroom. So you look at like training your mind, uh, be tough, present, focus, mindfulness, resilience, confidence, you know, breathing, state management. Um, it's like going to the weight room and learning different lifts. It's like we're going to practice these techniques, these forms so we can do them without thinking. Maybe when you, if you're at Arizona Diamondbacks or at IMG, tell us what your job looks like. Tell us like you're in the, you're in the classroom, you're working with these groups and small groups, whether it's, you know, hitters or the pitchers or as a, the coaches or as a group setting, we're going to talk about a topic, right? But when you're teaching the mental game, give us like, do you have a philosophy? Like, how would you break it down? Yeah. So I, I think that's one of the fun parts of, of the current job is really every day does look different um, in some ways. And I'd say at least for me, kind of personally, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it in the last couple of years trying to create a kind of a framework. I think it's helpful as practitioners if we kind of have a, a framework to go off of. Doesn't mean that it's, we're rigid to that um, or that we're cookie cutter to it per se, but I think that's, that can really help um, in 
making the work more meaningful as well as uh, more sticky with those you work with. So for me, I wrap everything into kind of mind, body, and spirit. So I think from a mind standpoint, that is how do you optimize your attention, your, your energy, and your thoughts. Um, so those kind of three things, that kind of encompasses this component of the mind and, and trying to, um, again, make sure that that's working for you rather than against you. The body for me really comes down to acceptance and trust. I've used this uh, several times, but I tell our players that when they step into the batter's box or they step on the mound, whatever they have on that given day is what they have. Like they're not going to all of a sudden get any stronger. You're not all of a sudden going to throw any harder per se, other than adrenaline um, with the help of adrenaline. But uh, in those moments, like what you have is what you have. And so it's, it's learning more about having acceptance that what you have is enough in that moment and trusting that you can still execute and you can perform even if it's not a hundred percent or even if you're not a hundred percent confident. So and with, I can hear Ken talking. If you only have 70%, give hundred percent of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, that for me is kind of where the body comes in. And then the last bit is spirit. And, and if you look at kind of the Latin root of the words uh, spirit, it's, it actually means to breathe. And you think about how important the breath is for us as, as human beings, it's really what fuels us. It's what, it's what gives us life. And so for me, that kind of comes down to knowing your mission and knowing your values. Um, and so those are kind of two things that um, go into that for me is helping players determine really what what's their purpose and knowing why they do things as I mentioned kind of earlier with the lemon it can change how you do it uh, it can change what you get out of that experience and then also knowing um, I think values are just they resonate a lot with me because I think they give you opportunities to experience success on a just day-to-day basis in the moment so um, that for me those are kind of the three components that interplay with one another and I doesn't mean that I don't ever stray away from that per se, but I think those tend to be the, the foundational rock that um, my work uh, builds off of. So if you were to do a workshop, say I'm going to hire you to do a workshop for us to, to learn the mental game. Is there a certain like um, area of, of, of uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk confidence. I'm going to talk mindfulness or is there, you know, if you could teach us and give us like three key like points of a, of a topic that you like love. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Like, I think there's a there's a few few angles, certainly, um, you know, and obviously, as you know, like, uh, trying to gauge what the audience like wants, like, I, I, what I will share is like, maybe, what are the ones that excite me the most? Like, what are the ones that like, just really get me going? Like, I think, and I think a good starting point is we'll just focus on the mind, like the mind component. So I think attention to me is the most important mental skill. Uh, to me, that's the one that determines like guys like Michael Jordan, guys like LeBron James, um, play athletes who excel at a really high level consistently. It's because I think they've been able to train their minds to focus when it matters and, and maybe most importantly, redirect that focus as needed um, if they lose it. So that one for me is, is really important. Um, and is it okay if I pause there? So how do we train that? Yeah, so that's, I think, one of the cool things is, you know, now in 2021, everybody, I think there's certainly, it's mental skills have become more normalized, but what excites me is I think kind of one of the next 
not frontiers per se, but where I think there's room to really kind of evolve the field is how do you train these things? How do you practice them? I think one of them that we do a lot of in our organization is mindfulness and meditation. So that is a very core component of um, what we do with our players um, during spring training, for example, every day there is space built into the practice schedule for them to come in and practice mindfulness. So that's become a, a core staple of our program. So is that where you have like a script on like breathing, staying centered with a mantra or breath or observing or like, you, would you guide them through that? Yeah, yeah. So the vast majority of them tend to be guided. Um, one thing that's been kind of fun in more recent time is uh, we have several guys who they're regulars. Like, I mean, they could honestly guide the whole session themselves because they come so often. So one of the things that we'll occasionally do is, um, so sometimes we do silent ones and we just go for 10, 15 minutes straight silence. And that one is one that I really enjoy because it's for some the most uncomfortable. And, and that's one of those things that we talk about too, is you can learn a lot about yourself and how you think from being in moments of discomfort. And so that kind of being doing silent meditations can be helpful. Uh, as a gateway for that. So that's one one way that we've done it. We've also, we actually did a cool um, exercise where we actually had a couple of our players lead us. Like we sat in and we're like, hey, you've done this so many times. Let's see you lead it. And we told them, we were like, you, we had a couple that were pretty nervous about it. They were like, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, just be silent. Like if you don't have anything to say, you can just be silent. We can just, you know, practice being, you know, in the present in that moment. And he actually did a really great job and it was actually a really cool opportunity for us to also hear what they hear, you know, as they're guiding, you know, when we typically are the ones guiding sessions, all of a sudden it gave us some insight into like, what are the things, like, what are the, the word, like the language that they share that really resonates for them or what are the things that they like to focus on um, during those practices. So um, that has been one of the, the ways that we, we have done that. So yeah, to answer your question, a lot of it is guided. We've also, um, we had uh, our couple of our other mental skills coaches uh, earlier this past during instructs, they led uh, before a uh, training session, they did some mindful movement with our strength staff um, before kind of the practice got going. And so we've tried to build it into other facets of, of their work and not just, Hey, mindfulness is only what you do when you come into the mental skills room. Yeah. So is it, is it hard to get buy-in? I mean, cause it's more than just breathing and, and, and mindfulness, right? So like, I know you talk about the mind, you got energy, you got thoughts. So how would you teach that? I, th I think, you know, what, what's nice in some ways is uh, most every person that we come across has experienced a moment where their mind has worked against them, where their mind has become their own worst enemy. And I think that's a helpful starting point. Like a lot of guys understand it now, whether or not they want to practice and train mental skills and work with us more formally, neither here nor there, but they, they have an, an understanding and appreciation of, of what role the mind plays in performance. And I think that's a helpful starting point. I also think like one of the things that's really cool is, is just seeing how many high profile elite athletes and performers are talking about the mind, you know, like in, in so many different sports now, people are referencing 
how important it is, you know, how important mental health is, how important it is for mental fitness and training your mind uh, through things like meditation and visualization and all these other mental skills that might be out there. So that I think has helped in a number of ways from a buy-in standpoint. Like I would say for the most part, like we, we've, we've got a pretty high level of receptivity. And I think for those that we have that are on the fence or, um, you know, for them, they feel as though that they already have that resource or those skills in place. Like we try to learn from them. We try to, I, I tell people like we, I might have a, a sports psych degree, but I don't have a degree on you as an individual and as a human being and, and you do. Um, and so trying to learn from them has uh, kind of been one of those ways to, to kind of help create that trust, create that buy-in is knowing that it's a partnership more than just us content dumping on them. Yeah. And once you say you do group sessions, but you also meet with guys one-on-one if they want to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we offer both. It's just like by, you know, sign up or appointment or just grab you in front of the dugout in the locker room or like, how, how does that, how does that work normally? Yeah, it's, it's both. We we're, we're fortunate. Like we're, we're really fortunate because we have a space at our spring training site and um, it's a space that is designed to be, very comfortable, like more of like a lounge. So we have players that drop in all the time, not just for sessions with us, but sometimes just to hang out and just kind of have a nice quiet space away from the locker room at times. Um, so that we'll, we'll have players that come in in there and those sometimes lead to one-on-one conversations. And then also to your point, like, I think that's the other thing is we have to kind of meet players where they're at. And for some that comfort zone in talking about mental skills isn't in the quote unquote mental skills room. It's out in between um, sets in, in the um, it's maybe in the weight room uh, or maybe in the training room, or maybe it's um, in between stations during batting practice, uh, like in the cages and all those things. So we also try to meet guys where they're at and, and have those conversations. I would say the vast majority of the, the introducing the teaching of mental skills that we do occur more in those informal moments than they do in formal ones so and one of my goals is to, to make this stuff normal to normalize mindset training so i think we kind of talked about i think it's easier to get buy-in now with all the examples on instagram twitter youtube i mean you probably one of the number one people of creates content of resharing cool articles and videos which i really think is awesome so thank you zach for producing that content um but if i'm a parent or a coach and i'm looking at my kid or my athlete or my child as like you know they have self-doubt they're not they're able to practice great, but not in games. And you just hurt for them because they're in their own way. I mean, is there anything we can share or any like different like tools that we can give them? I know it's, it's not one, one size fits all, but is there, you know, a drill we, we can, we can do or a certain question we, we can ask? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, this is maybe a good time. Like I, I kind of talked about like attention and, and this might be a, a nice transition to like thinking about thoughts. Like how do you optimize your thoughts And one of the things that we talk a lot about is like your self-talk plays such a significant role in your self-image and really our words, both internal and external, what we say out loud represent the wardrobe of our beliefs. And I think that's something that we talk a lot about with, with players and, and just, it's important part of being human is knowing that most of us have this inner soundtrack that's constantly running in the back of our minds that likes to criticize likes to judge, likes to evaluate, 
Um, and it this this narrator that we have in the back of our minds that's renting kind of space, unfortunately, tends to be pretty subjective. It doesn't always, um, it's not very factual or it's not very objective in how and what it notices. And and I think that's one of the things that um, one of the things that we'll we'll do sometimes is just bring awareness to that inner voice that you have and understand that a lot of what we experience or a lot of what we um, encounter is a story about the experiences that we have versus the actual objective experiences themselves. Um, and so one of the things that I like to, to tell players, like there's a very easy like exercise to kind of bring some awareness to this is uh, you'll hear people say like your thoughts aren't facts or your thoughts are not laws. Um, and, and the good example of this is if I were to have you um, take out your hand and then take out two fingers and start tapping your hand and then um, out loud say, I can't tap my hand, I can't tap my hand, well, keep doing it. You clearly can keep tapping your hand, although externally you're saying you can't. And I think that's one of those exercises that we try to bring some awareness to this notion that um, our thoughts, we can have a thought, but it doesn't mean we have to believe a thought. Um, or that doesn't mean that we can't act in a way that's uh, different than what that thought is suggesting. So I think that's one of the things. I think this also is a nice like segue to, in some sense, to this notion, like another exercise that I really like that I learned from a practitioner in our field is this idea where if I were to have you take out a a pin and hold it out from you and, and just hold it for a while, something really light, obviously you could probably hold that for a pretty long time, you know, especially if you lift and you work out, like you're going to be fine for quite a while, but over time, eventually it's going to cause strain over time. You're eventually going to get fatigued and you're not going to be able to hold that anymore. And whereas if I were to have you take the pin and set it in your lap and continue to hold it, but just let it sit there in your lap, you're still holding it, but now you've changed your relationship with it. Now, instead of pushing it away and over time creating this mental fatigue that we experience because we're trying to shoulder the weight of those thoughts, now all of a sudden that thought is still there, but we've changed our relationship with it and we've reached a more of a place of acceptance. So um, those are those are sometimes like the, the little things that I like to reference with players to help them see that um, it isn't just your focus that matters, but it's also how you think about your experiences and how you view um, the challenges that you face uh, have a dramatic effect on, on your ability to perform and overcome some of those things. So what if my, my self-talk is like horrible? What if my like inner belief, like I, I'm re, replaying trauma or past mistakes and bad at bats, you know, embarrassing, striking out with the base loaded or giving a speech in front of my, my peers, I sucked. And I don't want that to happen again. And there's this common thought loop that's just bad. They're yeah. like, is it, I mean, not affirmations or is it reframing or is it um, how, to, how to visualize the things that you want, not what you don't want? Or I mean, I'm thinking of kids who struggle with that because they're on Zoom calls or they're not competing right now and they're not able to have these new experiences to, to do well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great point. And, and what you kind of just described, as you noted, is, is so common for, for so many. Um, I think this is, I think, again, where we talk a lot in, in our, with our population, we talk a lot about mindfulness for focus and attention as how it can be a, a practice and a technique to help for that. 
I think this is also where you can see what role mindfulness plays with just our thoughts and understanding um, that inner dialogue and that inner critic that we all experience. So I think one thing that I like about mindfulness is it helps you develop or it helps you train to be more an observer versus an indulger of your thoughts. So rather than simply try to add meaning to a thought or embellish it, you simply observe it for what it is and not try to add any extra meaning, any extra significance to it. Um, so that's one of the things that we'll incorporate sometimes during those exercises that we guide players through is, hey, for the next few minutes, simply just observe your thoughts. What comes to mind? And know that your thoughts are going to be like as if you were walking down New York City on the, on the, on the side of the road and you're going to have other people that are going to be walking past you. You're going to see them come into sight and then eventually they're going to pass. Like that's basically how your thoughts are. Your thoughts that you might see them for a while and they might scare you. You might see some people um, or some thoughts that you really don't want to that make you nervous and, and terrify you but know that they're going to pass. Um, and I think learning how to kind of just be more neutral and observe thoughts is one way. The second one is knowing that the second thought you have is sometimes more important than the first thought. And it probably is more important than the first thought. So you may have that initial thought. That's that inner critic. That, that's that um, negative voice, if you will, uh, that's criticizing you. But what I care more about sometimes is your response thought. Like, what are you doing after that? How, um, where are you bringing your attention and your mind to after that? And I think that ends up playing a really important role in our lives. And, and one of the quotes that I, I really like is it's like, it's not the weight of our self-talk um, uh, that produce a lot of the stress or it's the weight of our self-talk and not our circumstances that produce a lot of the stress and tension we carry in our lives. So I think that's one of the things that's really important for, for people to just recognize is um, how you view things and with your thinking dramatically affect their, uh, dramatically influence their effect on us and not just simply the circumstance itself. Yeah. And it's like, are you aware of your thoughts? Are you aware of your self-talk? Are you even aware of what you say to yourself? Most people aren't aware that four out of five thoughts are negative. Um, I got two more questions, man. I'm really loving it. You're good. Um, what I love about following you is you like are hunting for stories to, to normalize a mental game. You're hunting for examples. And I think part of this field is, is bringing this to life that you have a strength coach. You can look at website of all these college programs. They have 10 strength coaches for, you know, helping your body heal to tape you up, to get your body trained doctors, all types of people. There's a lot of people, but the mental part, there's only one, two or three. So it's like giving storytelling to me is the most powerful thing we can do to, to coach the mental game is give examples and give, you know, teaching a model from a textbook. Yeah, we can drop models and coach different things, but if we can attach a story. So you have a thing every year, the best articles of the year on like the mental game mindset training. What was one story this year that you just loved? Gosh, Put you on the spot. On the spot. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Gosh, what was one that I, there's um, a woman I've gotten to know a little bit uh, in the last couple years, and it was one of the last articles I think I shared there. Uh, um, her name is Lauren Witt, and she works at Google, and she's the head of um, wellness basically for all of Google, which is quite um, a task and responsibility. Um, and I really enjoyed 
not only that particular article that I shared, but I thought one of the other things that was really cool is uh, about a month ago, I came across another article that talked about how Google intentionally creates spaces um, for people to relax and to reset. And I just think one of the coolest things is, um, yes, I would love to see this profession continue to grow for more people like ourselves working within teams, um, not just at the professional level, but at the collegiate level, at the youth level. I would love to see that. But I think what was really kind of unique and cool about hearing some of the things that they're doing also is like, how are you creating spaces to normalize um, mental wellness and mental health? And I think that's that's one of the cool things that um, there's so many ways in which we can continue to, I think, normalize it and, to, to, and continue to evolve it. I think having some of those discussions, like I think I really appreciated Lauren talking about some of the, the groups that got together just to talk um, openly. And, and in my experience within our organization, um, it's really interesting. Uh, when I was at IMG, we would do a lot more formal presentations like workshops and things. We don't do much of that at all in our current role. Um, doesn't mean that we don't do education per se and, and teach mental skills, but it, ours tend to be a lot more informal. And we do a lot of like round tables where we bring in players and coaches and rather than just hear from us, we allow them to hear from one another. And that has been, I think one of the coolest, some of the coolest sessions that we've had in the last couple of years have been, have surfaced from those roundtable conversations. And so to hear somebody who's doing that in a global brand and corporation like Google, like is pretty cool. And I think, you know, that's going to be something that, again, I would love for people in our field to continue getting opportunities, not just in sport, but I think in, in business and, and other facets, like you've already started to dive into, which I think um, there's so much out there. There's so many people, as you noted at the beginning, that can benefit from it. So um, that for me was, I think, one of the cooler articles to read and, and to, to think about. Yeah, what I'm saying now with the, the numbers of anxiety and depression and stress and trauma and fear and doubt and uncertainty, I'm, what I say is if you're not proactively working on wellness, mental health, mental wellness, you're being negligent. And I use the word negligent very firmly because it really is true. And I mean, stress is the like top cause of, you know, I think five out of six deaths are linked to stress. Like, like nine out of 10 uh, visits to the doctor are linked to like stress. So if you're not proactively working through these things, um, but wh wh where do you find, I'm going to piggyback on that, that question. Where do you find these articles and what's your go-to process, man? Because I'm always hunting for this stuff too. Uh, good question. Uh, I try to be really intentional with like, um, searching terms you know I think like that's so part of it like it goes back to something we kind of talked about at the beginning where it's like um being able to speak the mental game language of whatever setting you're working in so for example one of the things that you know I see like so uh, mental skills is a really popular term in the baseball landscape mental skills is not a huge term in NFL or NBA in they use more like mental wellness um, mental health. So I think one thing that's important to like that I try to do is just like be really intentional as I'm like Googling, you know, I don't do anything too crazy. Like I Google things or, you know, you follow certain people on, on social media that like to share things too. And it sparks to, you know, you go down a rabbit hole. So I, 
I try to stay on top of a lot of those um, and, and try to be really creative with search terms. Um, Are there certain terms, search terms or certain followers we should be following if I'm a parent, if I'm a coach, if I'm a business leader, like give us some key terms we should be searching for, or there are certain follows on IG or on LinkedIn. Again, yeah, I, gosh, put the spot, I put you on the spot. You know, that's okay. I, I just feel bad because I'm going to leave people out. Like there are so many people out, you know, like, and I think like, you know, if you go through the, the, the index of people that you've had on your podcast, like there's some phenomenal practitioners and follows there. Um, if you go through people that have been, I think podcasts, there's a few podcasts in particular that I think are worth noting. Um, your, your, yours, I think like Sindra Kampoff's uh, High Performance Mindset podcast. I think if you go through some of those and you start to see like who are some of their guests, um, I think those are, they've done, I think, a great job of finding really quality practitioners and people that, whether it's in the podcast themselves or through their social media, they're, they're producing some really cool sharing. Um, you know, I think, you know, one, like we've talked, you've, you've mentioned a few times, like youth. And I think one that I really, like, I, I really admire Justin Sua. Like, Justin is, is a great person in general. Um, and was, was he still at, at IMG when you were there? He wasn't, actually. So we didn't overlap at IMG. Um, I was fortunate that um, we've gotten to know each other a little bit um, since since our time there. And and he's he's been somebody that I really admire just with the way he thinks about not just performance psychology, but just like life, like learning and leadership. And, um, and he, yeah. he's a dad too, which is cool. Oh yeah. Like he's just unbelievable. Like, I mean, he's unbelievable. So, um, his podcast, I, I will say, you know, similar to what you did for kind of your first hundred or so episodes of like doing like those short micro bite size. Like, I think those can be really good starting points for somebody that want to kind of dive in deeper to, these concepts and these principles, because that's one of the challenge. That's the, like, if you want to hear or learn who, who the people are, I think when you look through those interviews of different folks on podcasts, that's a good starting point, but his podcast and like what you started with, like, I think those are great for just bite size. Like, let me just slowly learn kind of what are the, the, what's the foundation of mindset and mental skills. That's good. Last question. You're talking about lifting a pen i looked up your twitter i only work out so i can lift all my dogs and hold them like babies talk about your love of dogs man let's just end with that one. Oh well it's uh if the viewers could see here i've got uh, a whole wall that looks like a shrine of our dogs so i um yeah no my uh my wife and i we um we have three dogs so we're uh we're, we stay pretty busy. We're actually, so we just got back from um, Oregon and uh, we were talking about our dogs have seen more things in their lifetime than I think several people have, which is just unfortunate in some ways, but also like we try to give them the best life that they possibly can. Hell, they just went to the Grand Canyon about a month and a half ago. So they're, they're having it pretty rough, but I, um, I, I heard this quote once that I really liked and I shared it a while back. Um, I think there's some cool parallels between uh, dogs and, and just like mental skills too, and just life. And one of them is how training a dog is kind of like how you have to train your mind, you know, with diligence and kindness and versus like 
trying to control it, trying to beat it, trying to like, you know, pound on that inner critic that you have, that doesn't work well. Um, it, it might get compliance in the immediate, but long-term, uh, that's, it's not a good recipe. It's not a healthy recipe for success. And so I, I like to, um, I, I feel like you can you go spend some time at a dog park and you can learn a lot about um, not just uh, animal science, but also just people in too. So yeah, dogs are at the high, high list. I think one day it'd be cool. I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Kotler. He wrote like Rise of Man. He's got, he's got flow, yeah. Yeah, he, he also has a book called A Small Like Furry Prayer, I think is what it's called. And him and his wife have a like a dog um, sanctuary, which is pretty cool. Um, and so they uh, they do a lot of like uh, rescues with like uh, dogs that have are in hospice and stuff like that. So maybe someday that'll be a, a future endeavor. So when I think of dogs, I think of just they love you unconditionally. And I think dogs are always present. They are completely present, man. They, they if someone comes to the door, they get kind of bittery and bark. And then once they leave, they just shake it off and they're completely present. So um, that's so cool. Um, Perfectly said. Well, thank you, Zach. And have a good time. Took some notes, took a lot of notes. And hopefully, listeners, you took some notes too. And um, I would say if you're listening to this podcast and you're a leader, a coach, a mentor, don't wait for this stuff to happen. Like, be, be proactive. Listen to some of these podcasts. Read some of these books incorporate mindfulness training, incorporate self-talk training, and incorporate these discussions of openness on how, how you feeling, how are your confidence, confidence is an action, you don't always have to feel confident, just talk about some of these concepts collectively, it's gonna be amazing what, what you can learn, but just having that space, a part of your family, part of your, your workspace, kind of examples you gave, um, and if you're coaching, just leave five, it doesn't have to be like an hour, just leave space to be open to share and to make this normal, so Zach, man, I'm super grateful for you and your time and uh, learning about all this stuff. Is there any way where we can find you? Where's the best way if we wanted to to learn more about, you know, about you? Yeah, yeah. Anybody listening, always down to, to connect with folks. Um, there's a few different probably social media that would be the easiest. Um, Twitter is at uh, MVP underscore mindset. Um, Instagram is MVP underscore mind. So not the mindset. That one was already taken. So MVP underscore mind and then um, LinkedIn. So any of those, feel free to reach out anytime if you want to talk shop or, or just, you know, jam on on some of these topics we've gotten into today. So yeah, coaches, parents, just follow him and then reshare the videos with, with your with your players or with your, your employees. He produces a lot of good stuff. Um, what's one book we should read? I know you're an avid reader. What's one book we, we, we should read? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think one of the books that stood out to me the most in 2020 is, um, is called Emotional Agility. Uh, it's by uh, Dr. Susan David. And, and so we, we I know in this call, we talked a little bit about attention and thoughts. And then I said, energy was kind of my third one. We, energy slash emotions. That was the only one that we didn't really dive into. But I think that book provides a really nice in-depth look at what role emotions play in our lives and how um, it, it, I think it just does a nice job of peeling back the layers that most of the emotions we experience are what we would categorize as uncomfortable or negative yet they still serve a purpose in our lives and we can still learn from them. So I think emotional agility is probably one of my go-tos for 2020. Good stuff. Zach, great, great job today. We end every episode with this concept. The body has limits, but the mind is limitless. I mean, thanks.